Cowabunga dudes of dudettes, and welcome to another episode of Turtle Flakes. Rob here. This morning, I just want to give a couple of brief uh, announcements and uh, disclaimers to start today's episode. Um, first of all, uh, hopefully you've all seen the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie and you've enjoyed it. Um, I got to see it this week. And uh, the beginning of this episode, uh, when we were recording this, I hadn't actually seen the film yet. See, we recorded this about a week in advance. Uh, I hadn't actually seen it, but Josh had. So we talked in lengths about, you know, what, what was happening in the film. Josh, uh, he talked about some of his favorite parts. And we didn't really spoil anything specific, but if you want to go ahead and avoid that whole spoiler line there, you know, that, that uh, just to be safe, if you don't want to hear anything about the film, uh, you can go ahead and fast forward to the, uh, I think it's the 41-minute mark where we start talking about turtle news and turtle pickups and eventually the, the comic. And speaking of the comic, I hope you enjoy our review. We were huge, diehard Jim Lawson fans, and uh, this is one of our favorite comics of all time. So hopefully you enjoy that review. Oh, and another thing, you probably noticed that we've released about 10 other episodes this week, um, and that's because we updated our subscription to Podomatic. Uh, Before we had a certain storage space, and we had to, in order to publish a new episode, I had to delete some of our old episodes. So now... Uh, now that we've upgraded, we have every single Turtle Flakes episode uh, up on iTunes and on Podomatic. So, and we're in the process of updating our website as well. And speaking of iTunes, uh, we did get a review this week that I just really, it really touched my heart. So I'd like to go ahead and read that real quick. This review is from Heroic35, whoever you may be. Here's what it says. I had a four-hour drive from my home to Minneapolis where my daughter was going to be born. She had open-heart surgery and is doing well. I listened to this podcast the entire ride down and loved the Townsend Coleman episode. Once my daughter arrived, I got her a Michelangelo plush because it was that memorable of a ride. Keep on the shows as I look forward to each and every one of these turtle flakes. Man, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Josh and I, Josh O'Rourke and Landon... We're so blessed by hearing stuff like this. This is such humbling, humbling stuff. Um, you know, we just love to talk about the turtles, and then when when we receive something this, you know, somebody took their time out of their day to to reach out to us and to say something like that, it just blows my mind, and and I just feel so um, honored uh, to to receive that kind of. Um, uh, you know, I feel honored and in some, in some ways, you know, unworthy to receive those kinds of words. So uh, thank you so much for your, your kind words and congratulations on your baby girl. That that means a lot. And uh, I know she'll be totally rad because it sounds like she's got a totally rad dad. <laughs> so cowabunga, dude. And uh, And that's it, guys. I hope you have a great week. Stay tuned for episode 49. We've got big plans. Josh Witt will hopefully be returning on episode 49 to talk about the new movie. Um, I'll be there, and hopefully we can get Josh O'Rourke and Landon back on. I have a little uh, Turtle Flakes roundtable. So I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and as always, cowbunga dudes! Dudes, 
Michelangelo here, you know, the master of the whirling pizzas. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtle Flakes, a bodacious bowl of Ninja Turtles goodness, brought to you by my radical dudes, Rob and Josh. Cowabunga! Cowabunga dudes who do that, and welcome to another episode of Turtle Flakes. Uh, it is this episode, I think, 46 today, and uh, boy, it's just, this is a good one. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited about this one. Because first of all, I got my buddy Josh. How's it going? Hey, everyone. How you doing? Cowabunga. <laughs> Josh and I were absolutely fired up because, well, he's seen the movie. I've still not seen it yet. So he's going to kind of talk about that a little bit. And, you know, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite, and I think it's one of your favorites too, right, Josh? Yes. Yeah. The uh, I think it's Tales 4 or 5? Tales of the TMNT? Tales of the TMNT, issue number four. Issue number four. This is a big one. This is a Jim Lawson story. We, we talked about it a little bit in an interview that we did with Jim Lawson quite some time ago, but uh, we never actually, you know, really dissected it and really kind of, you know, sunk our teeth into the story and everything. So we never really did a full episode review of it. So Josh and I, this was all Josh's idea. I thought it was fantastic. So we are going to be talking about that today. Yeah, this was this was how you got me on the show. I was like. <laughs> You know, I'm just, I'm hoping, I, I don't know if I can commit to doing two podcasts, and Rob is like, we'll talk about Rat King whenever you want. I was like, okay, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. He knows his audience, man. He knows his employees. Well, you know, you know. Yeah, what can I say? I'm good. He's good, man. That's why he's the face of Turtle Flakes. He's Turtle Face. <laughs> turtle Face. Yeah. Turtle uh, Face Rob. <laughs> That'd scare off some listeners, man. I don't know if I'm going to do that. <laughs> Depending on his wings, he might leave Turtle Tracks. I don't know. Oh, but, well done. So. Well done. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. Well, so first of all, Josh, you saw the movie, didn't you? Oh, hold on one second. Oh, can you hear that? Oh, you can't hear that. <laughs> uh, knock, knock. You're about to get shell-shocked. Shell-shocked. Yeah. All right. I had this cool lead-in going, and like, all oh, my speakers suck. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard it. I heard it. I don't know if it'll right. be on the show, but I heard it. It's not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But yeah, we. my wife and I went out and saw uh, TMNT Out of the Shadows last night. <sighs> so and jealous. I got to tell you what, man, this, they basically said, okay, we're going to make a new movie. I want you to watch the first season of the 87 cartoon and make it like that. And I, I'm serious, man. It is like the first five uh, episodes of the old cartoon minus the neutrinos. So probably like, yeah, there's no, Hey daddy. Oh, there's none of that. (laughs) So what's the haps? You know, none of that. Wow. But, I mean, yeah, that, that's is, iconic, man. It is so cool. And, like, I'll be honest, and I understand I have a bias. We're on a show called Turtle Flakes. That's true. We all have a bias. But <laughs> I don't care. So um, <laughs> I was actually when I almost didn't go to the movie yesterday because I was I was feeling kind of sick. And I just really just kind of wanted to lay down and just rest. And Nicole talked me, actually talked me into going to the movie. Wow. I'm watching the movie, and I swear, I started, I actually physically felt better watching this movie because it was just, it was, it was really funny. It's got the family heartstrings being pulled, it's got the feels, it's got really funny action. It's the CGI is in. I won't say much improved because, I mean, you know those are just four CG characters. Everyone's a CG character in this movie. I mean, there is no suspension of disbelief due to performance and motion capture and everything. There's, you know they're talking to CGI characters. But 
it just is played so well. And everybody, every human character in the movie just accepts that there's mutants all over the place. That They're just like, <laughs> yeah, of course they look like that. They're mutants. You know, I just, I really just, it was just, it was just so cool. And I was so happy to see a comic book movie because that's what this is. At the end of the day, this is a comic book based movie. It was so cool to see a comic book movie that wasn't just like, okay, we're Marvel, we're DC, we're going to make you feel horrible during this movie. You're going to see Captain America punch his friend for two hours. You're going to see <laughs> Batman almost murder Superman, spoilers, almost murder Superman for two and a half hours. Like, no, man, this movie is two hours of Ninja Turtles, let's have fun. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Okay, I got some questions now. Um, yes, and go we're gonna try. We're gonna walk that that thin edge of of. We don't want to spoil anything because, uh, for one, I've not seen it yet. Um, my my friends are coming in from out of town. As a matter of fact, Landon's coming over, and uh, one of my old work friends, Jameson, who's they're both coming over Tuesday night, and we're all gonna go load up and see it. So it's been killing me. It's like, oh, I want to see it so bad because I have heard. It's not just you, Josh. I've heard a lot of people say. This is a great movie, which is so different from when I heard, you know, I heard a lot of mixed reviews on the 2014 yeah. film. Well, the saving the saving grace of the first movie, and I mean, I'm a defender. I like the first movie. I mean, I get what it is. I actually remember you reviewing it right after um, you had reviewed it on Bargain yeah. Bin Radio, and mm -hmm. uh, you were very yeah. optimistic, you and uh, Nicole both, and you guys kind of made me feel better about it, too, like, uh, you know, going yeah. into it, because I hadn't seen it when I had heard your review, and I was like, oh, he brings up some good points. And then sure enough, I actually agreed with just about everything y'all said, you know, that, that there are some definitely some good things about it. I think we can all agree that even though for all of the uh, for the faults of the first movie, they got the characters of the four turtles right. I agree. And, and that carried the weight of the film. Uh, trappings, failings and all. Faults and all. I won't say failings, but faults and all. Right, right. That carried that first movie, and that's why when they announced the second one, two days after the first one premiered, I remember that. I was like, dude, they're yeah. I mean, why not? Why <laughs> why should we not be excited? Because they learned their mistakes, and they improved upon every single one of them in this one. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's just like going back to what Kevin Eastman said too. He said, you know, after seeing the first one, there were there was definitely some miscommunications and possibly some yeah. some mis missteps. But he said overall, it still captures the heart of the turtles, and I agree with that. I recently read an interview with uh, the actor Alan Richardson. He plays Raphael in the movies, mm -hmm. and they asked him about the first film, and they and he said that there were three completely different cuts of the first movie, and wow. they basically just chose one. No and kidding. Because yeah, because there was the cut of the movie where William Fickner, who played uh, Eric Sachs in the first film, mm -hmm. where he was the Shredder, and he became Shredder by the end of the film and fought the Turtles. And then fan backlash, Shredder's supposed to be a uh, Japanese uh, character, which yeah. he is, but this was a different character. It's not like it was a white guy playing a Rokusaki. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, if they had done that, I would have understood. But they didn't do that. They created a character who was a student of his. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then the sequel would have the original Shredder come back, and he'd really tear up the turtles. Yeah, something but, to look forward to in the second one, yeah. yeah. So it was just like the, the, the first movie was haphazardly put together, and somehow, just like the turtles themselves back in the 80s, somehow this haphazard mix of stuff just became a hit. 
Yeah. You know? And now we got this movie, and I'm so happy we got this movie. Yeah. From it. <laughs> all right, so uh, so going back to to this movie, I, I got I got to know a couple things. First of all, the turtles. Did you like the way they looked in this movie compared to you know better than the way they looked in the previous one? Yes, I did. Yeah, because um, my big complaint about the turtles in terms of their look. Uh, had, had the only thing that I had a problem with was their size, not necessarily height, because I like that they're finally that they're actually as tall, if not taller, than most of the humans in the movie. Because I never really bought it that I get why the turtles are five foot flat fighting a six foot six rock steady and bebop or something. It just shows you that when they beat them, that they really had to step up their game and overpower them mm-hmm. because they're at a disadvantage just in terms of height. And but I I thought that they were too bulky and right, yeah. just too big. Raphael makes sense because he I mean they show him in uh, at one point in the new movie they show him bench pressing and he's got to be benching like four hundred pounds. That oh, must be nice. And it's I mean like he's it's really cool. But all the turtles all the turtles are like slimmed down just a bit. They're visually a bit less busy. That was my big thing was like I think they're just too cluttered. But I really like it how their individual characters are shown not just because of the colors of their bandanas, but also because, like, Donatello's got all this homemade tech. Uh, Michelangelo's got a skateboard on his back, and he's got a tied-up hoodie around his waist. Leonardo's (laughs) just decked out in ninja gear, uh, throwing star shurikens and his swords all up and down. And then uh, I kind of think with Raphael... He's got just a bunch of armor because he would be a stronger person by carrying around a bunch of armor. Yeah. He looks a lot like uh, the Night Watchman in the 2007 movie. Yeah, I think there was a bit of that. A uh, bit of that there. That's cool. But I really like their looks. I really do. Now that you've seen it, what do you think about Casey Jones? Casey Jones. Okay, first off, I really like that he was just as tall as Raphael. Um, so just so it wasn't huh. like everybody just like towering over Casey Jones. I mean, which was what I was afraid of because Casey Jones is this big beefy guy. Stephen Amell is kind of a leaner dude, which is cool because I mean, like it just kind of shows off that he, even though I'm never going to look like Stephen Amell, <laughs> he kind of is the audience's proxy. We're looking through his eyes, seeing the turtles. And for the first half of the movie, they really emphasize that. Uh, because like when he first meets the turtles, he thinks they're aliens and he's, <laughs> this isn't a spoiler, but he says, do not eat humans. Leave us alone. <laughs> and it's, it's really cool. But like Casey Jones, I really like that. He's not just somebody that, um, he's a little bit different from the comics who didn't watch too many cop dramas in this movie. He's actually a corrections officer. He's a prison guard huh? who, is kind of just frustrated with that because he feels like he's not accomplishing enough. And then that's the motivation to become Casey Jones, you know? Hmm, interesting. And if you watch the trailers throughout, throughout up to the movie's release, they hardly ever show him without his mask on. Mm-hmm. And in that first time you see him, that's the only time in the movie he's got his mask on. But to be fair, they explain exactly why he doesn't wear his mask for, throughout the rest of the movie. So, and it's and I won't ruin it because it's actually really funny. But it's it's so funny, and it makes a lot of sense why he wouldn't wear that mask in reality. You know, it looks <laughs> cool on the comics, but in real life, 
there's a lot of confusion there, and I won't ruin it because it's it's a funny joke. Ah, so. interesting, very interesting. So, so he takes on more of a does he take on more of a comedic role? You think, or is it more of a uh, role like um, uh, Casey Jones from the first film? Uh, it's he's not like. He's not like Elias Coates from yeah. the first movie, which is good because don't try to read, don't try to do that again. Make right. a new Casey Jones for the modern day, and you can tell that there's obvious influences by there. Like he is a tough guy because like he's talking to a buddy of his about how he loves hockey, yeah. <laughs> and his friend says, "I don't like hockey. I like cage fighting." And Casey Jones just looks at him and it, basically the look on his face is like, "Cage fighting is stupid. That's not a real sport." You know, <laughs> hockey's real. Sport. That's the kind of guy he is. It's wow. Like he knows. And, and but also there is a little bit of that psycho vigilante in him. And there's one scene where he just kind of goes off the rails. Really? <laughs> on somebody who is like not even involved with anything. And <laughs> it's it's really it, kind of involved, but not really involved. He's not like a foot member or anything. But you could see the lengths that he could go to. Ah, interesting. So he's fighting that anger a little bit. Yeah, but he um, he really has a strong sense of right and wrong, which that's what you got to hit with Casey. Yeah. Is even though, yeah, he's a big meathead, he is kind of psychotic when he wants to be, but he knows what is right and what is wrong. And I really like that. Okay, second last thing I want to ask. What did you think of all the villains? Because I know there were quite a bit in, in this film. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to say two things here. Bebop and Rocksteady. I was just smiling like a big dumb kid whenever they were on screen because awesome. those two. Um, hold on, I want to look up the actor's name. I know Rocksteady is played by Sheamus, the WWE wrestler, uh-huh. and Bebop is played by. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, an actor named Gary Anthony Williams, who he does a lot of voiceover work. He's on the Boondocks, hmm. uh, shows like that, and those two guys were. <laughs> Those two guys, I mean, like, you could tell those two really liked each other because they got along so well in the movie. <laughs> and they were the Bebop and Rocksteady from the cartoon. This was not the IDW, their psycho murder. Yeah, scary, Bebop scary Bebop Steady. and Rocksteady. Yeah, they're, they're scary because you're looking at a, a seven-foot rhino and a seven-foot. Right, right. You know? And But those two guys are just insane. They are ah, cool. so cool. Like, Rocksteady has my favorite line in the movie, and it's way at the beginning of the movie. And they're talking to when uh, the armored truck sequence the, on the highway where the turtles are chasing down the armored truck that the Foot Clan's trying to break into. Uh-huh. All of the characters that are all, most of the main characters are in this movie. Like, Casey Jones is actually one of the drivers. Shredder, they're transporting Shredder up to Rikers Island or wherever. And Bebop and Rocksteady are actually in the armored truck with Shredder. And they're trying to impress Shredder. <laughs> and uh, Rocksteady says that he's he's Finnish. He's like, yeah, I'm Finnish. And that's because whenever there's a beatdown, I finish it. They're <laughs> just like, oh, you said that. Yeah, I did. And they're trying to high-five each other when they're in handcuffs and they just can't do it. <laughs> they are so cool. And they spend a long time... Uh, before they're mutated, like the first third of the mo- uh, first third of the movie, they're just humans. Ah, interesting. And they are really, really funny, and they're just these big dumb idiots, like bulls in a china shop. You know. 
Oh, and, that's great. I, I love that. I love that already because, you know, really we've never – we've not seen, you know, those those two in that kind of character since the original cartoon, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you haven't seen them since 96. When you haven't seen one of your favorite characters in the same exact way for years yeah. and years and years, it's kind of nice to see them back again, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it really is seeing new characters because, I mean, like, this movie, first off, I mean, like, this movie is made for kids. I mean, like, the, the five-year-olds to the 15-year-olds. And if you really think about it, even the older kids that will watch this movie, they've probably never seen Bebop and Rocksteady before. Ah, true. Very true. So, yeah. So this is the new character for them. It's kind of like when we saw Secret of the Ooze when we were kids, and it's like, there's Toka and Razor. Yeah, who are these guys? Yeah, it's like, those guys are really cool. Yeah. And But uh, it's just so cool to see them. I mean, I just had a giant grin on my face the entire time they were on screen. And awesome. after they're mutated, oh man, it was so cool. Like, the fights between them and the Turtles, it's really done well. Like... They're just like these two guys are just like big brawlers who are who like getting punched in the face because it's just like, man, you're not hurting me. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was five years old, whatever, man. But I was really cool. I was really happy to see that it's not like the turtles are ever overpowered by Bebop and Rocksteady because, like, that's my big complaint about like the Nickelodeon cartoon because, like, the Ninja Turtles just get their butts handed to them mm-hmm. so many times <laughs> in every episode. And I get it, they're teenagers, but they're the Ninja Turtles, come on. Yeah, right, right. As a team, they're supposed to be, uh, you know, pretty hard force to take out. Exactly. And in this movie, whenever they're fighting Bebop and Rocksteady, uh, it's a a really good back and forth between their different fighting styles. Because, like, Bebop and Rocksteady are just street fighters who are really good at being street fighters. But now they're fighting ninjas who are just really top-tier martial artists. But they take a thousand hits to get hurt, you right? Know? <laughs> so it's it's a really cool mix between those those six characters, and then Krang. You're gonna Krang is gonna be the division between most people, I think, because really? you're either gonna you're either gonna love or hate Krang, because hmm. just because he's not in a lot of the movie, and this isn't a spoiler because he shows up in the beginning of the movie in a really cool scene. And then he shows up at, at the climax at the big battle at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I kind of expected that anyway. You're, you're going to have so many different villains in this. I mean, that's four major villains. You got bebop and yeah. Rocksteady, and you've got Krang and shredder. He's, he is in this film. Um, but does he have a minor role or a major role? Shredder has, uh, he has an important role. Like he's okay. actively, Krang gives Shredder a mission and the whole movie is about Krang trying to, or Shredder trying to accomplish this mission for Krang and the turtles are trying to stop him. And, um, that leads to my one disappointment of the movie is with Shredder. I won't go into it, uh, but it sets up something for the next movie. I'll say ah, that. Interesting. But it, it is my one criti- actual criticism of this movie. Ah. See, I can't wait but, to watch it so we can actually discuss this stuff, you know? Yeah, but the guy playing Shredder is creepy. Really? He is good, yeah. I mean, like, I saw him, and first off, he doesn't have his Shredder mask on until the end of the movie. But whenever I saw him in the Shredder costume, because he's wearing everything but the mask throughout the whole movie, which is hilarious when you see him walking through New York City with these giant... <laughs> 
spikes on his arm. But yeah, he doesn't. He don't care. What are you going to tell him? He's, I'm not going to go up to him. <laughs> but like whenever he was talking, I could see the Mirage Shredder, like those super hardcore, wow. scary. Yeah. And the girl playing Karai, uh, Brittany something is her name. I can't remember. Uh, but even though she's not in a lot of it, she was really cool. I mean, like she looked like Karai from the two. Really? See that that was one of my uh, gripes from the last film. That they, they they made Karai look a little too weak in the last film. I, yeah. I thought you know she had a very minor kind of role. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's still the same actress though, right? That's still no. It's it's a different actor. Uh, Shredder and Karai are played by different actors, but mm-hmm. both of them are played very very well. Yeah, Shredder is played by an actor named Brian T. Who was in movies like The Wolverine, Fast and Furious, Tokyo? Oh, Trent. that's right, The Wolverine. Yeah, I, I I knew I'd seen him before. I couldn't place it where it was though. Yeah, she he played Liu Kang in the new Mortal Kombat web series. Oh, nice. And then Karai is played by an actress named Brittany. Sorry, hold on, Brittany Ishibashi. Ah, I'm so sorry if I put you <laughs> rolls right off the tongue. Exactly, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're both played very well. And there is actually, there's, I don't, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a fight between April and Karai, Mm. very, very brief at the end. Uh, And April, Megan Fox plays April very well. Mm -hmm. She's much more, believe it or not, even though like the first movie was really April O'Neil's movie, which makes sense because she's discovering the turtles along with us. This movie, she has a much more proactive not just she was more reactive in the first one just yeah. like looking at all this stuff happening and in this one she's actually going out there and doing recon for the turtles and getting information cuz like when during the day they can't go out so she goes out and gets the info they need to take down whoever they're going to fight at night yeah but yeah i mean and will arnett as vern fenwick he He's really funny in the movie, but every joke that he makes is self-deprecating, basically. And it's just, <laughs> it's really funny how it ties into the ending of the first movie. And it's one of those things you're going to laugh at it, but you're going to roll your eyes at the same time. But it's it's done really well. Awesome. It really is. And, and even whenever he's trying to explain something, you can kind of hear the musical theme to the 87 cartoon whenever it was him being an idiot, which was every episode. <laughs> yeah, just about every episode. Yeah, you can hear the same musical cues from the old cartoon in this whenever he's on screen. Oh, that's good. It's really, really, it is a surprising movie. I, I, I'm I, just gushing all over this movie just because it was, this was the Turtles movie that I've been waiting to see for years, and I didn't even realize it because... As much as I had been wanting to see, because let's be honest, I mean, even Kevin Eastman said on the show, we'll never, we probably will never see a black and white R-rated, super violent, Mirage-inspired movie. As much as, as much as all of us older fans would want it, you know? Yeah. But, that being said, this movie is, in my opinion, this movie is kind of a love letter to that old cartoon. Wow. And it, it's just it is really good i didn't even know i wanted to see a turtles movie like this yeah and that's something (laughs) yeah i know i mean like i've been i've been thinking like man make a black and white movie based on deviations as a oh man yeah blood everywhere (laughs) that would be awesome right the four evil turtles trying to take down splinter that would be a great movie to us 30 year olds yeah whatever you're 30 now (laughs) for 20 more days (laughs) 20 more days (laughs) countdown man Uh, 
but the reality of it is is that would not be a huge financial success right it it wouldn't be it, oh, it yeah. would be a success but it wouldn't be like even what the last movie made i think just over 500 million dollars Mm-hmm. An R-rated Turtles movie wouldn't make that money. I mean, I think there are people that would still criticize that. You know, the the other oh, side no. of it. You know, oh, it's it's too serious. You know, it's not lighthearted enough. You know, there, there's going to be people that would criticize that because we're so yeah. used to seeing different facets of the Turtles that th- you're not going to nail it perfectly every time because there's some people that are so used to the comics, some people that are so used to the cartoon. There's people that are used to both and expect both. You know, uh, it's just you're never going to please everyone. It's just, it's just not going to happen with the Turtles. It, it just will not happen. The closest they ever got to, I think, with blending everything was the first film. And even yeah. then, even then, there were some criticisms uh, on the first film. Oh, yeah. People were really miffed about how violent it was. Yeah, absolutely. All the, all the Jim parents. Did not, Jim Henson almost didn't do the second film because the first one was so violent. So violent, yeah. And you can definitely tell by the, uh, um, Seeker of the Use, they had toned down the violence dramatically. You know, and that's to me, I I don't know if you feel the same way. I I think you do. To me, that was the best Turtles film of all time. Now, that leads to my last question. This film that you just saw, Mm -hmm. is it up there with the first one for you as far as personal preference? Yes. Really? Yeah. This this is right behind the first movie. Yeah. Wow. Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadow, TMNT, and then Secret of the Ooze and uh, the uh, Turtles in Time. And I mean, this, this is, you have to understand, this is a very different movie. This is a Turtles film for today's kids, where the 1990 Ninja Turtles film was for kids in 1990. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really was. And that movie was for kids. You know, I mean, I mean, the fact that Jim Henson was doing, you can say whatever you want about Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, yeah, they made some hardcore films, but those were kids' movies, too. Jim Henson made kids' movies that were scary, mm-hmm. you know? And in this movie, he was associated with a kids' movie that was an action movie, yeah. you know? And uh, I think I think uh, Out of the Shadows actually has the best version of Shredder that I've ever wow, seen. Wow, really? Even better yes. than the first one? Yes, I really do. And I will go to... I mean, that's an opinion that... Probably is not going to be very well received, but I will go to bat for it. <laughs> it with the exception of Shredder at the end of the first film was executed better uh, because you talk about the original film. It. Yes, uh, of, of the original 1990 film, um, just because uh, you had if there was just so much more like Splinter was kidnapped and he was being he was hung on a wall for uh, it had to be a couple of weeks anyway yeah you know slowly dying of starvation but um so there was a lot more to that like we got to get our father back and like the last film in in 2014 like that one was again we have to save our father we got to get the mutagen to save our father but uh this movie was probably just this is probably the second best ninja turtles movie ever and wow I'm willing to bet that, like, my kids will say when they see this, because me and Nicole went by ourselves last night, um, when they see this movie, I, I'm i 90% certain that they'll say that this is the best Turtles movie ever. Wow. Yeah, what about that? Yeah. yeah. And 
And that's a good thing because if people, if kids love this movie now, I mean, if they just out and out just love it, that means in another two years we're going to get another Ninja Turtles movie. And that means probably after the third one's done, five, eight years later, we'll get a new trilogy for their kids as kids. You know, it's it, and it's going to be cyclical. It's just going to go back around because, you know, the last three, the original three movies, I like all three of them. Mm-hmm. I don't care if people think I'm wrong. I like all three of them. Oh, sure. I mean, it's a personal They're preference. All cool. Yeah. Yeah. And... But there's going to be kids in 20 years that are going to say the same thing about these movies. They're, yeah. they're going to say that these three, because there will be a third. You know there's going to be a third one. Knock on wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> third one. Um, they're going to say that these, the three movies that came out when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, those are my Turtles movies. And it's just, you should embrace the fact that there's new Turtles, you know? I mean. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's the great thing about the comics is like, yeah, there's the Mirage comics, then there's the Archie comics, then I mean, I'm sure that, you know, in a, in a world full of 7 billion people, there is at least one guy that thinks that the definitive version of the Ninja Turtles is the, is the Image Comics run. <laughs> right, absolutely. And <laughs> that is their Turtles. It's like, yeah, but, you know, Raphael didn't lose an eye. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Donatello ain't no cyborg, man. I ain't going to watch that new stuff. Right. It's, all, it's all about the Todd McFarlane era. And and you know what? More power to that guy because he knows that he or she, they know what they like and they're yeah. not going to apologize about it. You shouldn't apologize about loving something. You oh, know? I wholeheartedly agree. You know, even if it's not even if it's not popular. And that's it's kind of like walking that that thin line. It's a very, very difficult thing to separate yourself from bias and personal preference so my my um solution to it is don't you know if if you, if you like if you like something you like it even if if uh there's a whole bunch of people that say oh my gosh that one was garbage you know and for me i know i'm completely biased i know no film will ever top the first turtles film for me and that's yeah. all because i grew up around that film you know, the, the film itself is great, in my opinion, yeah. but there's so many different memories associated with that film. There's so many different things about that first film that mean a lot to me. And they're kind of the that first film is kind of the epitome of my childhood. It was my first movie I ever saw. It's one of the movies I probably watched hundreds of times when I was a kid, and I still enjoy today. You know, yeah. you can't I can't separate the film itself from the memories associated with it. So, no, nothing. I don't care. It could be the best film in the world. My personal preference will always be the first one for those reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the fact that there's so many different incarnations of the turtles. Whether it's like you said, the image version, you know, which is completely different from anything we're used to. The Nickelodeon it version. Is bananas. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> the Nickelodeon it's... version, the comics. I mean, everything. The 2007 film, Turtles Forever. I'm excited to go see this film. I was excited to see the last film. I'm always excited when there's something Ninja Turtles out, you know. And and I know you feel the same way. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I think sometimes we get in this fanboy mentality where, you know, my opinion is the only one that matters. And if you like this particular version, you're an idiot, which is ridiculous. Yeah, we can't. I hate that. I know. Yeah. It, it, I it, do everything I can to just squash that because that is just stupid. You're. You're being childish because you're just sitting there crossing your arms and stomping your feet on the floor, just saying, no, this is what I like and this is what everyone needs to like. It's like, no, man, 
I'm glad that you have. I'm glad that you have a strong opinion that you believe in, but you're being. But here's a dork. mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man, and and I agree. And th- that could be applied to anything. We're just using turtles here, but like you know, politics. Um, for me, a lot lighthearted, but you still see it. Uh, video games or video oh, game yeah. systems. You know, there's 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 fanboys of all different systems, and they say, "Well, how can you like this one? You know, you're an idiot if you like this one. This was the real system." Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, like when no. We were kids, when we were kids, you decided who you were friends with if they had a Sega or a Super Nintendo. <laughs> See, you know, I, I was it, on the Sega side, but I acknowledged yeah. that I love the Super Nintendo. That was that was my. But again, going off um, to my childhood, I had. Uh, Sega Genesis first, you know, that was my, uh, I had a Nintendo, that was my first system, and then I had a Sega Genesis way before I got a Super Nintendo, so again, more biased, I played it more, I just, you know, it just happened, I don't think it's better, I just prefer it because I'm used to it, you know? But, but yeah, you're right, like, it's just, just embrace what you want to embrace. Absolutely. And just understand that the Ninja Turtles, they're not, everybody has their Ninja Turtles, but the Ninja Turtles are not theirs. You know, they are for... Ah, good point. Yeah. It is for... Because I love the 80s cartoon of the Turtles. I love the Mirage comics. But my kids, like the Nickelodeon series, that's their Turtles. And as much as they do enjoy the 80s series, I mean, my daughter Danica, she just turned 13, and I got her one of the Ultimate Collections. Oh, uh, cool. I got her volume four, and she read that whole thing in a day. Wow. And, I mean, like, she did not even move for, like, three hours, and she was just, I mean, she even read the liner notes in, in between the chapters and everything. She she soaked that up like a sponge, and she loved it. And also for her birthday, me and her mom got her, me and her mom, me and Nicole, got her the new Turtles game for her PlayStation, and she was up there playing that because, uh... It was it's it is a fun game and she got really far into it. She's almost done with that game. Wow! She's like, you know, these turtles look different. Which which version of the turtles are that? And she actually said, "What version is that?" Huh. I said, "That's from the IDW comics." And she says, "What's that?" I was like, "Well, here you go." <laughs> Funny you and should then ask. She sat down for another couple hours reading the IDW series, and she's like, "Whoa!" I said, "What?" She says. People are mean to the turtles in this book. And I was like, yeah, that's what real life is like, honey. You know, it's just <laughs> people only care about how you look. You yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, but but it's just it's just this new movie just reaffirmed my it just it kind of I know this is going to sound dorky, but this just like reaffirmed my love for the turtles because you know what the turtles are different and going just going into the mutation aspect of the turtles. They actually deal in this movie. There's a point in the movie where they deal with people looking at them, and Michelangelo of all the turtles has this really poignant line of um, just how I won't go into because it it's a really good line. I won't tell you yeah. what it is, but he actually just he almost kind of comments on the problems with uh, the look of these turtles that people have. It's just like you know. How can you really judge the look of the turtles when it's what does that say about you? Yeah, you know? yeah good point. Like you're point. gonna judge their look and like really the turtle a great aspect of the turtles has always been, you know, look at these guys, man. You know, the mutant aspect of them. It's like how can you just how can you judge the way they look when like mm-hmm. 
they wouldn't judge you for how you look. They would be afraid of your judgment of them. It's just like, man, it, it gets deep a couple of times. Like Leonardo and Raphael have a scene where it's just, it gets, it's a deep cut, man. It gets really dark for about two minutes there. Huh. When, and not like it, it, it's not like they get into a fist fight or anything. It's not dark like that, but they really delve into a brother. If, if anybody has a sibling, specifically an older sibling, you, they really get into an older brother, younger brother fight argument and it's it's it gets really deep man i mean like it it tugged at my heart you know because like leonardo does something in this movie where it's like oh man you made the wrong move buddy <laughs> how are you gonna come back from it and splinter in this movie is a great father in this film like he's actually got two maybe three scenes in the movie where he just he just gives you some really poignant fatherly advice in mm. this film. Not you, but I mean like oh, the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob. Yeah. Don't eat stuffed crust. You know? <laughs> um, but it's just just the way he plays a father is great. Uh, he really plays uh, Splinter well. And one last thing I want to say. Uh, the voice of Krang is uh, by an actor named Brad Garrett. He played Ray Romano's brother in Everyone Loves Raymond. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they very quickly they had to change voices because I forget, Fred Armisen was going to be Krang originally mm -hmm. and he had to bow out because of scheduling conflicts. Ah. Oh. Yeah, so actually what I read yesterday was Pat Fraley, the voice of Krang from the <gasps> cartoon. They actually consulted with him and Pat Fraley is friends with Brad Garrett and recommended Brad Garrett. Wow, no kidding. So he's got the seal of approval from Pat Fraley. That now that makes me feel better because a lot of people were like, Oh man, you know, if Pat Fraley's not crying, I'm boycotting this movie and everything and I'm thinking it's nice that they consulted him and, yeah. and that uh you know, Pat Fraley gave him his blessing because, you know, yeah. I, I think that's a nice nod and respect to, you know, the original voice actors, but at the same time it's something new. Yeah, and you know what? He does do his version. I I think he does his version of Pat Fraley's Crane. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, every now and then you hear a little, you know, you hear a little bit of that. You know, oh, you a little bit of the cool. Burp and a little bit of the gas he's got. You know, <laughs> but but Crane is. Oh God, he is. He is creepy. He's he's menacing in this movie. It's definitely a funny version of the IDW crane. Like he, like man, it, just the things that he's got planned for Earth. It's like, oh man, <laughs> we're all just gonna die. You know, he can't win. We're gonna die. You know. I love that. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see it. I tell you, I've had so many people, um, like BJ Hahn, one of our friends of the show. Um, yeah. She, she, uh, of course really good uh, commission artists and stuff. I, I got a link to her store on her show notes. But she was just talking about how, you know, she got goosebumps several times from this movie. There was even a couple scenes that made her cry, and I'm wondering about that. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, she was just bragging on this movie and how much she's enjoyed this over, the you know, the, the last one. Not that it was terrible, but... Uh, yeah. And then Thaddeus Manning said the same thing. Um, he said how much he has thoroughly enjoyed the, the film and stuff, and... Uh, you know, it's just it's really really cool to see. I've heard a lot more positive feedback from this film than I did the previous one, and yeah. I, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to see it, and it's just so exciting to see the turtles in this medium again. You know, yeah. thirty and, years later. 
And you know what? It is, honestly, it is just so, it's such a relief to see a fun movie again. Because every movie, as much as I I love the Marvel films and I love the new Batman-Superman movie, you're going to see that movie with the intention of, dude, I want to see these guys fight. I want (laughs) to see these guys beat the crud out of each other. And that's kind of masochistic a little bit. I'm just going to say. Oh, sure, sure. But but with this movie, you want to see the turtles have fun. And the opening of the movie is them running on rooftops. Like, they start they start at the top, the absolute top of the Chrysler building in New York City. Oh, that's awesome. Um, which is just like, that's, I, I got vertigo just looking at that thing. <laughs> and they end up on the street. And it's like, and just seeing them go from... I don't know, 500 feet up in the air down to ground level, just seeing how they did it with no fear, smiles on their faces, laughing, having a good time. And it, it probably takes maybe a minute, minute and a half of the movie. And it's it's just really cool. And that just, it just, oh, God, I got goosebumps <laughs> watching. It, it was so cool. Well, you got me fired up, man. You got me fired up. I mean, we... we... I just I gotta see it. I, I don't know if I can hold it out till Tuesday. That's the part that's killing me. Dude, don't go see it by yourself. <laughs> go take your wife. Yeah, and, yeah. And and then when your friends Landon shows up because he's not gonna listen to this yet. No, no, this won't actually be released till next week. Yeah, and then like Landon's gonna be like, "Man, you ready?" Like, "Yeah, I'm ready." <laughs> yeah, let's go see it again. Yeah, I got I got a good feeling I'm gonna enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just <laughs> whatever. Go see it. Awesome, you're, man. You're, you're almost 30. You can make your own decisions. You can make your decisions that your wife says is okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, sweet, man. Well, I guess we got a comic to talk about, don't we? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, – uh, real quickly, I'll, I'll go ahead and um, uh, talk about my pickups here. I got a couple of cool things. Um, enjoy the, the ride records. If you put hashtag Turtle Flakes in the comments or on their Facebook page or anything like that, you're um, immediately – uh, enrolled in a sweepstakes to win uh, one of their test pressings for it's a Ninja Turtle record they're working on right now. So, oh cool, yeah. So really cool thing. So if you purchase anything through them, if you put hashtag Turtle Flakes, you can you're you might just get a free record. So like the bundle pack where it's got the different colored records like blue and and purple and all, of course all the turtle colors and um, I got that and I also got a cassette with uh, it's got Michelangelo's colors on it so I'm gonna go ahead and fire that up in the uh, Honda Accord <laughs> my <laughs> 1998 Honda Accord right there oh yeah oh yeah yeah it still runs I got 180,000 miles on it it's still it's still kicking man still bumming around oh yeah man it doesn't look like much but you know that's that's beside the point and that was basically it for me and pickups what about you man did you get anything I got the new Bebop and Rocksteady comic I haven't read it yet I just haven't had the time to yet but um, I will say that what I did just buy this morning, actually, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of the one last thing I'll say about the new movie, mm-hmm. is uh, during the end credits, they have a new version of the 80s animated series theme song. And it is actually really cool. It is, I won't say it's an improvement or anything, it's yeah. just new addition because after like the first verse of the song is the whole theme song from the old cartoon and then there's another verse of them going into rapping and rhyming about each turtle and and their world and everything and it's it's really good you can buy it on iTunes i think it was like a buck 99 that's awesome yeah it's really good it is 
very, very impressive that they can just take that already iconic, because that is an iconic theme, and just make another version of it that I think stands right next to it. Awesome. Uh, it's, it's really cool. And I don't think I got much else, honestly. Nice, you know, man. Well, you got you to gotta take a break every now and then. I so. know, I know. <laughs> Especially since we're going weekly. God, my goodness. Buy some every week? Oh, geez, I'd be broke. Oh, actually, I mean, you can't see it, but I got this new Casey Jones shirt right here. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that plays great over radio. But, <laughs> Everyone loves it. Everyone. <laughs> they can just imagine what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, and actually, uh, listeners, please don't do that. That's kind of weird. Don't, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, sweet, man. Well, let's go ahead and uh, uh, dive into the comic. What do you say? Awesome. All right, let's do it. Hello, violators. You're in Casey's comic classroom. Prepare to be schooled. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of Turtle Flakes Presents the IDW Mutation Station. You're really good at that. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I practice. I really <laughs> nice. do. In front of a beer? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is not an episode like we usually do. This is not, I know it's called the IDW Mutation Station, but I'm ruining that too. <laughs> so, this is actually, we're going to talk about an, an issue of the Tales of TMNT. Uh, issue number four, which came out in January of 1988, and this is by far my favorite uh, issue, uh, any issue of the TMNT. This is my this is my issue right here. Wow! And it's just because man, this takes a. You know what? I always thought of Rat King as a villain because we all watched the cartoon, we all played the video games where he was a boss character at the end of whatever level. Yeah. Y'all just knew Rat King was the villain. And I didn't read this comic until last year when I found out about it and bought it. Wow. And um, this issue is the epitome of sympathetic villain. I agree. I feel horrible about him, especially by the end of this book. Actually, yeah. the whole book, I really kind of feel bad for him. But uh, the end really is like, almost like a tearjerker to me. Yeah, it really is, and uh, oh man, see, like this, the Rat King as a character, he's suffering from I don't know, it just loss of identity. Like he mm -hmm. doesn't know what he is. He doesn't know who he is. Doesn't know what he is. But he is just the whole book. He is trying to convince himself that he is a monster now. Yeah, and he has to act the way a monster would act, and. There's a little bit of battered wife syndrome with him too, because like when he's he hates the night, which we'll go into. Yeah. Because when he's alone at night, the rats bite him and hurt him and scare him, and he is really just he's their victim at night. And, yeah. Which is he so clings to daylight. I never knew that the rats were his enemy in this issue. You know. Yeah. I, yeah. I never knew that. I always just assumed, you know, he's like the Pied Piper, you know, but he's got all the rats with him, and, and uh, you know, that's just his gimmick. But it's not. that's not the case. That's not the case um, until we see later on things change. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, like, the, even from the very first the first panel, the first sketch, when you open up the comic, uh, you, of course you get the title, I'm Monster, and, yeah. uh, you know, stories and pencils were all done by Jim Lawson. This is a Jim, Jim Lawson, Lawson comic. First panel, you, you got him just crawling out of the swamp, 
And I think right from the very first page, it's very curious here, and I didn't really notice this till the second time around when I read it. Um, here's what it says. This has exceeded portrayal, helpless against the thing that it is that thing it has become me. The waters part and I arise. And here's the part that I thought was strange. A shambling moss encrusted mockery of the man I once was. Here it is. It's really become too cold for the swamp routine. Yeah. Now, like that last line, from now on, I'll have to be satisfied. Like, I almost feel like he's ashamed of himself. You know, like, yeah. I, I like, you know what? I just need to be satisfied with just, you know, penning myself up in this old factory. You know, like he's yeah. ashamed of whatever happened to him. You know, he just feels so ashamed to be just even alive, even to be around in the swamps in the first place. And it's like, what happened to him in the past that made him so ashamed of himself and so ashamed? Because he's a really smart guy. It's insane. Like, this guy is really smart, but he must have done something. Or something must have happened to him that has completely changed his outlook on everything. And he's just kind of gone off on his own. You know, if I'm if I remember correctly, what happened, what his because it it was years later that you finally found out his origin. I think uh, actually, if I if I remember correctly, you didn't find out his origin until the second run of the Tales of T comic back in the early 2000s. And, but the, the curious part was it wasn't written by Jim Lawson. So, right. like, I wonder yeah. I wonder what Jim was thinking, you know, what what, what was because this was his baby. This was his character right here. Yeah, this was his character, inspired by uh, a tale of the Leatherman that he heard as a kid. Yeah. You know? And but uh, the uh, even even though it's not his origin story that he may have come up with, because uh, we don't know what kind of input he had um, in in the second run of the Tales series. Um, you find out that the Rat King before he died, the or before he was born as it were the actual physical body that the spirit of the rat king is in was a person who died in a fire which is why he's got the bandages oh. and he when the spirit of the rat king went into this person's this dead body he woke up in a hospital and uh he shambled out of the hospital and ended up in the swamp wow i did not know yeah. that yeah, and I I may be wrong because I haven't read the issue. It's one of those things I read on Turtlepedia, mm -hmm. and um, but the the actual and at this point, uh, the spirit of the Rat King is very much kind of like in his infancy, and is just there's part of there's part of the spirit of this human body still there, so he just he doesn't know what he is anymore. And but he just he knows he's a monster now, so he has to live like one. And so he was hiding out in the swamp, but like the physical body just can't take the cold anymore. So he goes off to this factory. And this, what I really love about this is this happens at the point of the turtles' history when the, I I want to say this happens while they're in Northampton. And they're obviously like off on their own, far away from New York City. You can you can tell yeah. you know it's a very rural place that they're at. And one thing that I didn't know is that after the uh, the storyline where Shredder almost kills Leonardo and burns down April's apartment building, there and they flee to Northampton. They're in Northampton for a year, hmm. in between issue eleven and issue nineteen in the Return to New York series. That's a whole year, hmm. you know. Yeah, so lots of things happened. There must have happened during that time, you know. 
Yeah, and like, and it's also April. It's also Casey. It's also Splinter, and hilarity ensues, <laughs> and including this issue here. And I guess they're in some kind of abandoned steel mill. I always thought of it as a steel mill. Right. It's just a factory. I don't know. I think that's my own uh, bias or my own personality coming through because my dad worked in a steel mill oh. when I was growing up. So whenever I hear factory or mill, that's just immediately what I think of. So, and having never been in one, having, having never even worked in, worked in one or been seeing the, mecha- the machinations of what one looks like on the inside. He's just, I hear factory, I think a steel mill. And so he's walking around here and it's just, this is not a turtle story. The turtles are very secondary. I was about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, they're there. They're, they have a very obvious presence, but, and Casey is there too. It's it's uh, Casey and the four turtles uh, just hanging out, going to this factory because they're like, yeah, we can run around in here. I mean, they're just, they're not training. They're not fighting anybody, but they're just bored. They're just looking for something to do. They're looking for a fun afternoon. And even Casey uh, talks about when he first gets to the uh, factory, and it's long since been abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no trespassing signs, boarded windows, torn down brick walls everywhere. And he comes up, he's talking to the turtles, and he says, wow, look at these great brick walls. I'm yeah. going to come back here tomorrow with my spray paints. And he loves <laughs> tagging buildings and uh that's one thing i really thought was i completely forgot about casey jones is he's an artist you know? right and you know and you brought up a good point about just the dilapidated um atmosphere of of this this factory like i always found you don't realize you know when you live in a home you're keeping it up you're helping that home survive you know and then when it doesn't have that and you don't even think you're doing much you know you're just sweeping or you're just vacuuming or whatever it is or painting every now and then but golly, if if you see a, if you see a home that's been abandoned for just a couple years, you'll see how quickly it dilapidates and falls apart. You know, and uh, I just love the attention to detail. I love Jim Lawson's artwork. You look at the backgrounds, and you know, busted up glass, and it reminds me of uh, a lot of the old abandoned factories in Philadelphia. You know, where, where um, I'm from, there's a lot of old. Perhaps steel mills. There's a lot of old, um, you know, factories in Philly that have been abandoned for years, and you see all these, you know, uh, just br- uh, cracked bricks, busted up glass, um, you know, just graffiti all over these old buildings yeah. and just old boards, and you know, it's just, I, I always find that fascinating, and I think he nails the atmosphere. Yeah, I know. Yeah, this is like uh, this is like Rat King has found a place in his own personality to live. True. Yeah. And like what this really reminds me of, I mean, this memory came screaming back at me when I was uh, reading it last night. When I was in the army, I was stationed in uh, Germany in a town called Friedberg, and right across the street from the base I lived at, because I the building I lived in was right by the front gate, and across the street from uh, the base I was at was an old concentration camp. Nobody had it. I mean, obviously, it's not like they kept it up or anything or used the buildings. They, It was a memory they didn't want, so they just let the building just kind of erode and fall apart. And it was just the most... Uh, when I think back on it now, it was just the creepiest, calming place. Yeah, yeah. It was just this... Uh, tone. It was just like... It's kind of like when just like 
somebody pulls a curtain in a brightly lit room is what that mm. place looks like. And that's really what the whole sense I get from this comic here is just like there's a lot of panels within this comic of just the Rat King's eyes. and Which are great. Which are just beautiful to look at. But when the tur- you know when the turtles are walking by him because he closes his eyes just because he's kind of afraid of the turtles he when is. he first sees them. And then when they pass him, he opens them. Yeah, and interesting, like, huh? He's trying to convince himself. I mean, he even says in this book, like, those are monsters, but they haven't seen a monster like I am yet. You know, there's a point in this comic where he's looking at its hands and they're normal in one panel, and the next panel they're these big machines. yeah. You know, and it's just, you really feel like he is forcing this point of view on himself because... He, everybody, this is what I love about this version of Rat King, is that everybody at one point in their life forces a personality upon themselves. Mm. It's like whether you're, uh, like when I was, when I was growing up, I was a very skinny kid. I was for a very long time. I was really, really skinny and, um, I made the decision to start lifting weights and start, uh, getting as physically strong as I could, and I had, and I just unconsciously, I put a personality on myself to be as tough as I could be, and just as and almost antisocial to a point. And I and when I became old enough to kind of realize what I was doing, I immediately stopped it because I didn't like that about myself, and um, it it's it's almost kind of painful to read uh, racking do that to himself because there is no uh no hold on i'm losing myself i gotta go back like this guy just goes full head first into the deep end of his own psyche here like he is forcing himself to be a monster because he just he knows he has to be something no that's a very good point i mean the whole issue he's like convincing himself no i am the monster you know and it's it's the, the point where you can convince yourself of anything you know, it's almost like you can convince, your, convince yourself to believe in your own lie. Uh, you, you can convince yourself to do just about anything, and he does. Like, he's literally looking at his hands, and they're turning into claws. I mean, he just convinces himself that for who knows how long, you know. Yeah. And that makes that makes me you know kind of sad, you know, because sometimes I tend to think that people can change for the better and stuff, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, sometimes people believe that, sometimes people don't. And maybe at one point, the Rat King did believe he could be a, a normal person, despite maybe his, his looks and, and things like that. But yeah. now he's just kind of embraced it and has just kind of forced himself to think, you know what, I am a monster. Look at me. I am the monster here. Yeah, I'm going to be the bigger, better guy on the block, and I'm going to take these guys down. Right. And and he really does for a brief moment of this comic because, you know, the turtles are walking around and they're talking about how you get the sense that the Rat King, uh, before he was in this factory, when he was just in the swamp, he was con- trying to keep people away from him. Like, because there's local legends from the team or local just stories. Um, anybody that's come from a small town, like I've got one in particular that this reminds me of. I'll, I'll go into it later. But like anybody from a small town talks about local myths or legends or just just great stories. Mm-hmm. And around Northampton, uh, 
teenagers and just local people are talking about this person that lives in the swamp and like this and now that he lives in the factory and people are kids are staying away from the factory because like they mention at one point like there's no Raphael I think makes mention that you know nobody comes around here no kids come around here you know because there's no cigarette butts there's no beer cans yeah there's no yeah pop cans there's Oh man, just the power of local legends, you know? Yeah, very true. And I and I love, I absolutely love on page five, one of my favorite panels, uh, probably my second favorite panel in the, in the book. It's a full page spread, actually. It's yeah. uh, it's the Rat King on the right of a window, a busted open window. You know, so he's on the right of it, so the window's to his left, and you see the four turtles walking up and Casey walking up. But you also see above the Rat King and above that window, it's, you know, half the factory's gone. Like, the roof's gone. So it's like, man, this is neat. It's almost like he's in this abandoned downtown, if you will. You know, it's – and the attention to detail is great. I love it. This is such a cool detail-oriented story here. Um, This had to take so long to draw because, like, you can see every single building, just individual brickwork and everything. And just, like, there is no detail that's skimmed over. Like, they're walking on gravel. They're walking on – you can see where they're walking on sidewalks or paved roads. And then mm-hmm. you can see where the paved roads are broken. And you can see where the gravel is. And you can you can differentiate – in a black and white comic, you can differentiate gravel from mud to pavement. I know. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, how long did it take Jim Lawson just to draw this page? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I always wondered that, especially like Kevin Eastman and Jim Lawson and a lot of other detail-oriented artists. I'm like, it must take them like a year to draw a comic, you know, but obviously it doesn't, but I don't know how they do it. I think that's why the first run of uh, Tales of the TMNT was only like, what, five issues, six issues? Yeah, it wasn't many. Yeah, because like Jim, and this is just Jim Lawson, man. This Mm -hmm. this is his style. He seemingly, I mean, I've never talked to him. I don't know him. But just based on his art, this dude loves detail. Oh, yeah. And he just loves, like, that's his signature. It's just, I'm going to make you be able to count the individual strands of hair on Casey Jones. <laughs> I'm going to make you see the individual cracks and shading work on the turtle shell. And, yeah. And just, like, and, and the teeth were, I, I love, I, I know this is a weird thing, but I love the detail in the turtle's teeth because that's, always just like so fun to me to see <laughs> you can tell what an artist thinks of the turtles just by the the amount of detail they put into the actual turtles face and just their not just their musculature not just the bandanas not just the shells but just like the actual skin and the actual uh d- like do they have a nose or do they have a beak or you know yeah do they have big baseball card sized teeth or do they have little tic tac teeth you know it's just <laughs> It's just a really interesting glimpse into the personality of the artist. Um, like we were talking about earlier, like this is their turtles. It's like this is literally how they draw the turtles, you know. And I, I love it. That's the beauty of having a whole bunch of different artists, you know, draw the same series. You kind of see different interpretations. And uh, I just really appreciated Jim Lawson's because his style has changed in a lot of ways. Uh, over the years, I mean, you look yeah. at this was written in 1988, and you look at the stuff he's drawing now. Some things have definitely changed. Like I think the way he draws people and the way he draws the turtles now is is quite different. You know, the, it's hard to explain how it's different, but one thing that remains the same is there's still attention to detail. Like you look at, like for instance, Jim Lawson drew uh, Dragonfly, uh, his, his own series, and I love it. Uh, 
if you look at the backgrounds of Dragonfly, still as detail-oriented as what we see here. You know, so that that has remained a constant. Yet his art style now is it's just different. It's it's different and it's strictly unique. You know, like I've not seen anyone draw quite like him. And and if you look at the turtles now, um, his version of the turtles now and what they were in 1988, it's different. But yet yeah. the you know it's still you can tell it's still Jim Lawson. If that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you can really tell. I mean, just seeing that his maturity as an artist is really cool. Just in, not just in, uh, like you said, Dragonfly was a more recent uh, series, mm-hmm. but like if because the only thing I've ever seen Jim Lawson do is Ninja Turtle stuff. Uh, so like just seeing the difference between his art style here in the Rat King issue, and just seeing when he drew the turtles during the City at War arc. Oh yeah, it was. It's it's very different, but it's really cool to see where like where he came from this was his jumping off point into uh how i see the turtles now because when i look back when i imagine turtles comics in my head i kind of see jim lawson's turtles yeah that that's kind of me yeah yeah and i really like how he wasn't trying to do peter laird and kevin eastman turtles no you know he this is very distinctly his version of the turtles i really really appreciate it because a lot of people a lot of artists based on just me reading comics um a lot of people will want a lot of comic artists will want to kind of do their version of the a a popular artist that came before them true and it was really cool to say like no you know what this is a a side series so i'm gonna make it visually i'm gonna make it my turtles you know i'm not saying he thought that but just when i look at it that's what i see right you know? Well, that that yep. and um, like when you go to uh, the second volume of Tales, which was almost twenty years later, you know, yeah. he was in he played a big part in that series as well. Um, wrote wrote and drew a lot of the comics in the second volume, and of course my favorite one of all time, the Path, which was yeah. uh, volume two, issue nine. He drew that one and wrote that story. I like both for their own reasons. I don't want to say it's a little bit better; it's just different. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. Yeah, just just you know, he he's just got a unique style, and I, I just uh, always just really appreciated his artwork and storytelling. Yeah, and you know, I mean, just just looking at like just looking at the Rat King yeah. here. I mean, this came this came out probably the same year that Rat King came out in the cartoon, eighty uh, eight. Yeah, it probably came out the same year. And it was really cool to see that. I mean, this was January 1988. It was really cool to see that the cartoon took the specific cues visually from Jim Lawson's Rat King. And because, I mean, like, Rat King is definitely like, even though he is kind of a Pied Piper character in that early cartoon, he is visually to me like the only scary villain that the turtles fought like because like everybody even baxter stockman which is a giant fly which we know would look horrifying <laughs> that looks cartoony and he's got a bow tie and a vest on yay <laughs> and that that looks like something that you look at them it's like you know whatever but like racking it's like oh man i don't know that's like the horror film version yeah. of Ninja turtles you know that's true man man but moving on I, dude, we could go on jim lawson tangents all day oh man <laughs> If I could ever, I mean, outside of Peter Laird, because thank you very much for letting me meet Kevin Eastman. Oh, letting you meet. Wipe that off the bucket list. (laughs) I would just love to talk to uh, Jim Lawson. Just be like, dude, how does your brain work and how can I make mine work that way? (laughs) You know, because 
whenever this was the stuff I tried drawing when I was a kid because I love detail and I love shading and I was just never able to draw it in a way that I I thought looked presentable but just like just his version of the Rat King first off the Rat King is enormous huge yeah I mean like just looking at it and he's you could tell he's a guy that just does not know his own strength (laughs) and like this dude looks like he could dwarf Casey yeah he looks ginormous yeah uh, like there's a full page spread of them on page seven, and oh my gosh, yeah. like just the, the you know the muscularity and then like the, the attention to detail. I mean, you've got all these, I guess they're bandages around him, like you said. Yes, they are. And yeah. then the but you see on his uh, blue belt on his left leg, just kind of you know in between all the bandages. And uh, yeah, he's definitely trying to keep himself together. You know. Yeah, really, good point. You can tell that he's like these are bandages that have fallen off of him, and he's retied knots and everything. And just, like, he's made scraps of clothing out of stuff that he's found on the side of the road. And especially his face, too. It's like his whole face is covered. I guess he's just horrible. He doesn't want anyone to see his face. You know, yeah. and maybe he doesn't want to see his own face, you know, in a reflection, say, in the water or something like that. He's trying to yeah. hide from himself. Yeah, and you can tell that this is a guy that just, like, he's had the roughest time like you know you ever you ever slept out on a street and you hear stories about people stuffing their clothes with newspapers to keep themselves warm that's exactly what this guy looks like and oh man just he's painful to look at but it's there's something so appealing in his design yeah true that it's like it's like a train wreck you just don't (laughs) want to look at it but you just gotta look at it yeah absolutely and he's been stalking them the whole time in this factory he's watching them come by it's very, very creepy. You know, it's just kind of up in the rafters. And I, th- I think this is interesting. He says, they speak of seeking the ghost. That was last year. This year, I am the monster. A moss-encrusted mockery of the man I once was. But I'm like, hmm, that was last year. What does he mean by that? I don't know. Ah, you know, I wonder about that. I, I think it has to do with, again, why the factory is abandoned. Because, like, just uh, not why the factory itself is abandoned, but why nobody's hanging out there. Because, I mean, when you're a kid... Your parents are going to tell you not to go and hang out at the factory. You're going to go run into the factory. You know? <laughs> yep. But and then last year is when he probably surfaced and he's hanging out in the factory and probably scaring kids away from him so he can be left alone. And that's in my mind, that's what that is. And then the next page on page eight, it really goes into how he looks at the turtles. And he says right here on page eight in the middle panel. He says, I get a good look at them as they walk under me into the courtyard. Their misshapen bodies shine in the sunlight. They are monsters. And then he says, I recoil in horror, forgetting myself. And it's really interesting to see your, quote, villain be afraid of the heroes, you know. And you don't see a villain afraid of anything, you know. Like, they're the ones that are scary. I mean... And this is a guy, he is really just trying to pump himself up and really say, nope, I have to be the monster. I have to take these guys down. I have to show them who the monster is because I want them to go away, you know? And and so you, you find out that he's afraid of the rats and he's afraid of these turtles not, or these just these monsters. He doesn't even, he can't even, I don't think he can perceive that they're turtles. You know, I I don't think that his brain... I don't think his brain works, you know, it's just outside of simple motor functions, his brain does not comprehend much, you know, and that's another just kind of sad aspect of him. It's just like maybe he just cannot 
understand not only himself but just the world around him. I mean, like he is just pure instinct well, right. that can somehow speak eloquently. Well, absolutely. I was gonna say, you know, he, um, in a way, he's like um, your classic. Uh, not evil genius, but like uh, classic. Just he's got this distorted reality because he is very, very smart. He says their vo- their voices are deep and full of confidence, yet they are cautious. Their conversations are sparse. And I'm thinking, just his vocabulary and just his perception of what he's seeing. In a way, yeah. he's saying, "Hey, they're full of confidence. They're not afraid, you know. But yet they're cautious. So he's very perceptive in that way. But doesn't even view them as turtles. He views them as monsters. So he's yeah. kind of, um." deceptive in that way or you know just not understanding really what he's seeing in in some aspects but he's also very poignant in others it's hard to explain what's also cool is like i mean the the uh jim lawson didn't forget that this is a turtles issue yeah this is a turtles comic because the next page all four turtles and casey are walking around and they're talking about the factory and leonardo and Raphael are very very and donatello are very very intuitive of the fact of where's all the vandalism Where's the trash? Yeah. Why hasn't anyone been hanging around here? And Michelangelo's just like, oh, it's because of the ghost that lives here. That's awesome, right? <laughs> and Donatello's just like, no, ghosts aren't real, dummy. Come on. I can just tell if this was an episode of the cartoon, this is when Michelangelo would be going like, da 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 and then that his curiosity just kind of just because he's Mikey, his curiosity gets the better of himself because he hears something, and just without a word, just separates from the team. Mm, yeah, and he gets uh, trapped in a silo, mm-hmm. um, or a smokestack or whatever, um, by the Rat King, and he gets knocked out. Like he just hits. Leonardo on the back of the head with a lead pipe. Yeah, love that scene right before it, too, because uh, Michelangelo, he's walking right through the doorway, and the Rat King's right next to the wall that he just passed. Oh. Didn't even see him. And then, yeah. bam, right in the back of the shell. Right, right yeah, in the back. That's like some Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees level stuff right there. <laughs> it is. It does remind you of a horror film. Oh, God, turn around. No, turn around. <laughs> Don't go in there alone, you dummy. What are you doing? Yeah, geez, I know. It's good dramatic irony because we know he's about to get it. and uh... Uh, Just grabs him, slings him effortlessly, slings him over his shoulder. Yeah. And that's the first time you get a real good uh, just glimpse of the height differentiation between Rat King and the Turtles. He's he bigger, gets, much bigger. It's like he's just twice the size of Michelangelo. And then the next page opens up. With Michelangelo tied to a wall or tied to a giant uh, plank of wood, um, and Michelangelo's waking up and looking around, and then Racking just jumps out and Rah! just screams <laughs> at him. Yeah. And Michelangelo's like, ah, you know, <laughs> just you know, that's what he sounded like. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, this is just the best part of this issue for me because one of the best parts because it's just. Rat King just eyes wide open, bugged out, hair on end, yeah. and just you can really see now that he is just a burn victim. Yeah, and, I mean, like there's points of this, like you can see bone under the skin, like you can see where the skin. Ah, good point. Thin. Yeah, you can see like the cheekbones and the ligaments connecting the jaw to the skull, and it's just oh god, it's horrifying. And it's just like you know that this guy, man. He needs some insurance. He needs to go to the hospital. He, you know, Obamacare yep. can help him. And but, 
Uh, yeah, he is looking rough, and, and he's trying to scare him. Like, he's going out of his way to scare him. And I, th- I thought this was really particular, too, because, like, I'm wondering if he's doing this with confidence or if he's doing this just to try to convince himself, you know? I think he's desperate right here because, especially on page 12, he's talking about, you know, for I am the monster, everything fears me, even you. And then Michelangelo says, you're not a monster. You're a man in a costume. And Rackham oh, says, he how dare you? Yeah, he doesn't take that lightly. Yeah, and he says, I should cleave your head, I should cleave your head off with one, smi- one swipe of my big gnarly claws. <laughs> and this is... Uh, the next couple of pages, this is when you see, uh, a couple of pages after this, on page 15, it's when you see Racking look at his hands, and then you see him, how he wants to see them, where they're these giant misshapen claws, and, like, the nails come out a good five, six inches above the fingers, and it's... I love God, that, too. Just, you just want this guy to be like, okay, man, you need some antipsychotics. Yes. You probably need a beer. <laughs> or straight jacket down, you know or straight jacket yeah, yeah. maybe the bolt mix yep. them up a bit you know but you just but i just feel so bad for this guy because like you know he's not what he wants to believe you know yeah. it's just like no you're a man and you need help mm-hmm. you really do and you really feel bad especially in the next couple of pages on 13 and 14 uh because he just leaves Michelangelo. Yeah, and we don't know why at this point. Well, he says, um, let's see, he says... Um, he says something like, if you survive the night. And I'm thinking, huh. Michelangelo, um, he says, it grows dark and I have much to do. And he's talking about getting his other, the other uh, turtles and Casey. And he says, rather, I think a night spent here in, the quiet, in quiet reflection will show you the error of your ways. He says, should you survive, we'll discuss this tomorrow. Yeah. He's just like, you know what? If you won't be afraid of me, I'll put the rats on you. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, you see at first uh, the um, it's a huge panel, and but you see like a transition. You see the daylight of the factory, kind of like this overhead scene, and then you see the sun starting to go down the next panel over. I was like, it's oh, cool. It's a splash page of the whole factory and the woods and mountains behind it, and you see the sun going down. Good stuff, man. Nice horror moment right there because you see the night's coming. Yeah, and just above it, there's four small panels of Michelangelo uh, struggling against his restraints on this plank of wood, Mm -hmm. and he just cannot get, uh, he just can't tear himself free. And so the last panel with Michelangelo on it, he's yelling, hey, guys, he's yelling for help, you know, help, help. He's Mm -hmm. trying to get his brothers to find him, and then the splash page is of the whole factory. (coughs) And how big it is. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got excited. No, I understand, man. And you see the whole factory is just like, tell me what window that came out of. It's like, you, even if the turtles knew where he was, they wouldn't be able to get to him in time. Yeah, exactly. There's no way because they just, and of course they do because it's a turtles book, but they just, it, you as a reader, you're like, man, I don't even know where he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and going back to the claw thing, uh, I think it's really interesting. You know, it's it's nighttime when the claws come out, you know, just yeah. feeding right back into that monster thing. You know, he's 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 outside. He's he's looking around. He's looking at his hand. And at first it's a normal hand. Well, I mean, normal for him. And then uh, and then, you know, next slide over, it's slightly darker out. And he's got the claws and I'm like, oh, interesting. 
Man, yeah, American Werewolf in London. Yeah. You know? <laughs> great, great movie, by the way. <laughs> great movie. Oh, I love, love that movie. <laughs> God. Yeah, so Michelangelo. Oh, I love this part, too, because Michelangelo, he's still struggling, and mm-hmm. he's still on those boards. He's like, oh, no, company. And you see this huge hole in the, in the brickwork, and you yeah. see all these little eyes just looking at him in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, no, there's no use, and here come the rats just out of nowhere. You starve some rats, dude. I mean, there's an old, not to get too crazy over here, but, like, there's an old torture tactic of just putting a rat on your intended victim and putting a can over the rat itself and heating up the can. And when the rat feels the heat of the can, they know that they're going to be burned Oh, my alive, goodness. Basically. So the rat will start to eat its way through the victim oh. to get away. Ugh. So it's just, yeah, rats are super aggressive if you muck with them, you know? Yeah, sure. No and kids. They really, they are survival instincts and just, they are nothing but instinct. And they are very much like the Rat King when he says on page 15, I have completely abandoned the man and become the monster, instinct over intellect. Ah. And that really encapsulates what the rats are at this point. Yeah. Because they just see Michelangelo, and they're not trying to scare him. They see a giant food source. Exactly. You know, I mean, who knows how long these rats have been there. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, I was going to mention it a little bit later, but the next time you see Rat King is a couple of years later in the City at War arc. Mm-hmm. And he's a big part of that arc, even though he never sees the turtles. He hangs out with, hangs out, but like... He has a story, a side story with Splinter, and that whole time he's trying to get Splinter to, to eat a rat because he's going to starve to death. Mm. Because you see that Rat King is perched on this huge smokestack, and just for whatever reason, Splinter was climbing on that uh, smokestack, and a loose brick gave away, and he falls down and breaks a leg. And so the spirit of, and the Rat King is there, and he's like, you're going to die, but if you can eat one of these rats, you know, you'll find the strength to survive. Mm. I mean, just like physically you need to eat a rat. Yeah. You know, know, and that's that's just, it's, it really encapsulates what I love about one of the things that I love about racking where it's never, he's never a physical threat. It's all psychological warfare with him. That's true. Even though he could be a physical threat. He's not. He could be. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, at this point he probably wouldn't know how to be, but he says instinct over intellect, and this is really some smart stuff that he's doing. I, I think Rat King's biggest fault is that he just, at this point, he doesn't give himself enough credit. Just like, because he's really just, he, he took down Michelangelo already. Yeah, yeah, no problem, too, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, if he had just stopped, you know, parkouring around places everywhere, <laughs> he, he probably could have taken all the turtles out by now, you know? yeah. And so Michelangelo, you know, in in a way, his instinct kicks in here because he rips through the the straps holding him down, and uh, mm-hmm. he gets away. Well, he has to throw his, his body forward. It cr- uh, cracks the um, board that was behind him that he was tied to, and he's fighting off these rats. And I'm talking animal brutality, uh, <laughs> big time here because oh, it's it's so funny to see him like just beam a rat across the room. With I know engine. it's kind of horrifying. At the same time, because, like, these rats are dying, like, pretty gruesome deaths. I mean, you know, and then yeah. Michelangelo, he's batting around these rats and stuff, and then here comes Donnie, and here comes Raph and Leo, 
And Donnie comes running in yelling, yabba dabba do. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking, my goodness. Yeah. So there's a contrast of uh, tone right there, big time. Well, I don't think they knew about Cowabunga yet. So just... <laughs> it's like Afro <laughs> Flintstones you know, that's in what there. he should be saying. He should be yelling Cowabunga. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, there's just wave after wave of yeah. rats coming after him. I mean, there's just no end to these rats. And even Casey gets in on this. He's got his his baseball bats, and uh, Leon, the the really gruesome one is Leonardo. Yeah, with his swords dripping with blood. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, it's like, how many rats did you have to kill? I mean, rats aren't that big. You know? Yeah, I mean, no kidding. How Ooh. many rats is that? He's got like nine rats on each sword. Yeah, he's that's got like that's a rat catastrophe. I'm oh, sorry, man. that was terrible. That's radical. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> rat puns. I like it. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, and and no kidding. I mean, you see like a little bit of blood splash up and this little uh, word, sploot. I'm like, ew, just something to make that sound be gross. Yeah, the little onomatopoeia there is just Oh, nice little uh, literary term there, man. Yeah, it's, I'm not just a hat rack up here, buddy. You know, like... <laughs> I'm pretty impressed, man. Pretty impressed. Awesome. Yeah. Well, now my day is complete. Yeah, I'm just, nope. We, we Don't can have to do show. anything else. I'm impressed, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So they finally, they fend off all the rats, and I mean, it was a heck of a battle, but they, they fend off all the rats that are there. I, it's cool because when, when they go back outside, it's kind of like this dark blue atmosphere. It looks really, really cool, uh, yeah. especially seeing the moonlight and everything. And the Rat King, um, the turtles see him, and I'm like, there he is. He's running away from him. He's running away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's, you initially, I initially I thought it was like, oh man, he's, again or whatever you find out very quickly that he's leading them yeah the lapidated smokestack and he just first off i mean he run, you don't know how much distance was between the turtles and rat king and he runs to the smokestack that's obviously uh, got to be a hundred feet tall yeah and you don't know how he did it but he climbs to the top of it before the turtles even get there yeah before the turtles even enter the smokestack and he's on top of it and just patiently waiting. Yeah. He's got his and, rope and everything tied to uh, the doors, I believe. Yeah. Slams. He pulls the doors shut, locks the turtles and Casey in this giant Colise- or Coliseum-looking smokestack. Mm-hmm. And um, Leonard, or Leonardo, uh, Rat King has this great line, or this great one of many monologues in this book, where he says, this is the arena and you are participants in the survival events. You see, if ever I'd find something dead or alive in the swamp, I'd bring it here for the rats, hoping I would win them over. Well, that didn't work, but after a while they came to expect food to be left here from for them. <laughs> and it says, and they're not very fussy. So mm. it's, he's obviously really smart, so he's like, you know what, I, I can't overpower all five of you by myself, so I'm just going to let the rats do it for me. <laughs> and you can see where he's like just taking out bricks from the uh, smokestack, so the rats can get in and out of the smokestack and find their food. And, and I love that too. Yeah, and also, I mean, just probably that's how he climbed up the top of the smokestack so quickly. Is he made a, uh, a makeshift ladder, if you will, up the side of the stack? And I just love seeing the the rats come through each individual brick hole you know just i think that's really really kind of horrifying because here they are they're just completely enclosed and it looks like an arena you know it's like a a coliseum like a roman coliseum you know where we're about to watch a death duel right here you know yeah 
it's crazy. and also a little a little bit of zombie movie kind of right here. You know, it's just like yeah. Night of the Living Dead, like you're trapped in the house and they're breaking down the windows. Ah, oh. it's like oh gosh, zombies or you know, in this case, the rats. Just yeah. you know, how they're gonna get through, you know? And uh, yeah, here here's one of the kind of the uh, grosser panels, you know, where <laughs> Raphael just Casey. literally. Oh, I didn't see the Casey one. Let me go back. On twenty six. Page 26? Okay, I was talking about the one where uh, Raphael karate chops this poor rat and breaks its back. I'm like, oh! Oh, God, yeah, no, I just saw that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's got to hurt. That. Oh, God, yeah. Either he did that or he just grabbed her out and threw it on the ground. But looks uh, like his hand's straight. It looks like he just flat out just karate chopped him. I'm like, dang. Bent that rat in half. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see which one you're talking about with Casey now. Yeah, he gets two rats and just crushes their heads together. And just and you see the little caption, bonk. Which is, like, funny but terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Leonardo and all the turtles are just killing the rats left and right. But there's just more and more coming. And Michelangelo's the only one that says, and this really impressed me about Michelangelo because this seems like such a Raphael thing to do. But he says, we're out of here. He says, I'm out of here. And he runs to the brick wall of the silo and just with all of his strength bust through the brick wall i don't care how old how old brick is you're not just gonna you, you can't do that you just bounce <laughs> right back off of it turtle powered his way through <laughs> t-u-r-t-l-e power yeah yeah <laughs> rat king is on the top of the silo and he's looking at him and he's like wait a minute this isn't how this was supposed to go and Leonardo, without saying a word, busts out a shuriken or a ninja star and throws it at Rat King. And Michelangelo is the one that says, Leo, wait, because, you know, we don't have to do this. I mean, like, obviously, the Rat King's not going to get down there. I mean, you know, he's not a threat anymore, you know, but Leo goes out of his way. Yeah, we're, we're going to get away. Let's just go. This guy. Let's just leave, you know, for for whatever reason, Michelangelo just wants to leave. And Leonardo's like, no, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Throws a ninja star and hits Wrecking right in the middle of his chest. Yeah. And he falls backwards and just lands on, you don't see it, but, you know, he fell probably. That's a heck of a distance. He, he had to have fallen at 50 to 100 feet. Yeah. And then it's four panels on page 28. Rat King gets hit square in the chest and then falls down. And on the fourth panel, uh, because you don't hear the thud of the impact, but you hear this, you see this little sound effect of chit, 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 chit. And you just know that that's the rats uh, maybe eating them. Yeah. Maybe. You know, but they're supposed to, they're implying that he's being eaten by the rat. His dead body is being eaten by the rats. And Michelangelo on the next page is going to try and – I think he's going to try and see if the Rat King's okay. Mm -hmm. And Donatello stops him. He says, don't look. Yeah. He says – and Michelangelo says, well, we can't just leave him here. And Donatello, being the logical one, says, there's nothing we can do now. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Page 30 is a full-page spread. And you think that Rat King was being eaten by the rats, but you see him sitting there finally at peace with the rats yeah and like the rats are all sitting around him and he's got one in his hand that he's looking down at and the rats looking up at him and kind of reaching for him in a very 
kind of I'm your pet kind of way. And the the last bit of dialogue is from Rat King's mind, his disillusioned mind that finally I think has some serenity here and he's or some peace and he says, For I am the Rat King. Everything fears me, everything except the rats. He's finally been accepted mm-hmm. by the rats. I love it. I, I I'm sorry, I don't I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Josh. It's just like no, this no, no. this drawing and this this line this makes the whole book for me. This is the best panel by far it, for me in, in the book because you could take this so many different ways. I, for me, this is my reaction. I, f- I feel like he's finally accepted by somebody. you know. And it was the very thing that he feared before, the rats that accept him and, and embrace him. And they all kind of huddle around him. I think it's really curious. They're all just sitting around him looking at him. And he's looking very solemnly. Or, or, or maybe at peace with the rat that's in his hand. And the rat's looking up at him. And it's like they have an understanding. Yeah, and if you look around him, there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six other rats that are just sitting around him the same way. And this is very obviously uh, because you're meant to think that he survived the fall. Yeah. And somehow, uh, but he survives the fall. But then if you read City at War, which was two years later, three years later, um, he's, spoilers for City at War, but you should go read it. It's a great story. It was what Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman capped off their Turtles uh, career at the time with. And it was the ending of Volume 1 from Mirage. And uh, they uh, they show the Rat King again. And at the end of City at War, of Splinter's side story, because he's not with the Turtles for anything longer than the first and... Yeah, the first and last issue of that storyline... Uh, Splinter has been talking the Rat King the entire storyline, and then when he finally finds the strength to get out of the the Coliseum, the smokestack here, um, he sees uh, Rat King's dead body. He see he finds a skeleton with the Ninja Star still stuck in his uh, skeleton, wow. still stuck in his chest. And so you finally real. And so if you read this, and I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Because I read this after I read City at War, um, you find out that Rat King's been dead this entire time. Splinter's been talking to him, and it's the spirit of the Rat King that oh the rats. Oh my goodness, accept. that is really cool. Yeah, it's not the body. It's because they. It's almost as if they were trying to attack the body to get the spirit out, and huh. so now he is the Rat King finally. And part of, and then you find out that he's part of the pantheon, part of these immortal spirits that even IDW is uh, playing around with right now. Yeah, with the April but, and Casey series. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and also and Kitsune and every Kitsune is racking sister and everything. And but I I wish that they had kept this design of racking. I know that they wanted to do, they wanted to tie it into the cartoon that was out that that is out now, but um. I love this design of Racking because he is just a haphazard collection of uh, just parts, basically. Like, you really look at Racking, and he's got stitches and bandages, and just, he is just, he's Frankenstein. He is Frankenstein's monster, you know? He really is. And it's just, this is a beautiful, beautiful panel that ends a perfect Ninja Turtle story for me because. 
I mean, yeah, it doesn't have Shredder, it doesn't have Foot Clan, doesn't have anything, doesn't have any of the baggage, both good and bad. Yeah. That most turtle stories happen. It's just this is a story about Rat King that just happened to have the turtles in. This could have been it's this could have been the beginning of its own series. Now you're following Rat King as he's moving through whatever aspects of reality he's going to be in now. Ah, very good point. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you know, really, we don't get a whole lot of Rat King. You know, besides the City Fall um, uh, saga or City at War, not City Fall. Um, City at War, yeah. Uh, in, in the at least the original run. So, man, I would I was going to ask you how many slices of pizza would you give this? And you know what? For for fun, for the sake of fun, what would you give this? Oh man, ten. I, ten I figured that. <laughs> yeah, ten out of ten of the best pizza you've ever had because this is just. My outside of the first issue because that first issue is just it's an icon, and this one, what leaves it from the iconic status is just the fact that you have to look for it. Mm-hmm. You have to. It's one of those great things that that doesn't make it any less viable of a comic than that first issue, but it's just like the the fun of finding out about one of your favorite villains and finding out his very humble beginnings. And just makes this so much of a better issue for me because it's just a villain that I've always had a fancy for and has become probably my favorite Turtles villain. And it's like because, like, you ask about Shredder being... I mean, Shredder is the villain for the Turtles. But if you can just... If you can overpower Shredder, he's done. If you can overpower the Rat King... That's just the beginning because now you've got the the mental aspect of fighting the Rat King. Ah, uh, yeah. You've got the psychological drama and aspect of that because, like, he does. He is one of those characters that's so powerful. Fighting physically is a waste of his time. So it's like this is this to me. This is the Turtles villain. Ah, you know? oh, I like that. That that's that's yeah. good, man. I mean, when you can find somebody that scares, Spl- honestly scares Splinter, you know that it's going to be a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> because even though Shredder might get under Splinter's skin, Splinter knows he can beat him. He doesn't know if he can beat Rat King. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I would put this up there. I mean, this is up there with the path for me. I mean, this is probably, if it's not my second favorite, it's time for my first. Uh, I love this issue. And, and you know, this is, it's, what's interesting about this issue is the more I read it, the more I love it. You know, like, I, reading it this time around, I probably read it a dozen sometimes, but this time around, especially knowing we were going to be talking about it today, I've just really dug into each and every line, each and every panel, and just really kind of—it's deeper than than you think. And you brought up some great points. I think more threatening than any other villain. And at the same time, yeah, he's he's extremely threatening, probably the most threatening villain. But at the same time, he's also not. Can we really consider him a villain? You know, it's like—is he a yeah, villain? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, and and uh, I I think that's so intriguing. I always love storylines. Where it's not black and white. It's not quite clear, you know? And I always love characters that always have that, you're sure, they may be evil most of the time, but there's that little hint of good, or vice versa, you know? And uh. I just, I think this this comic is the combination of storytelling, of artwork, of character dynamics, of, of just, and when I say storytelling, just the cool blend of psyche, you know, in, in this particular issue and how the art complements that so well and creates such a cool 
and, and um, fitting atmosphere for the character himself. Uh, abandoned factory, you've got your, um, you know, twisted and torn, distorted appearance, which fits his, his psyche, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, definitely viable to be my, one of my all-time favorite comics ever, yeah. you know? The, the only thing that maybe this issue, if this were a longer issue, which it should be, I'm not saying it should be because this is just a perfect bite out of the mythology of the turtles, um, of the big mythology pizza that is the turtles. This <laughs> is just a bite into that. Um, this, uh, If there is one kind of critique, it's just like you don't get the aspect of the turtles joking around a little bit. Yeah, with each other, you do just a bit where, like, you do see how young the turtles actually are here, uh, because the turtles when they first started out, they were fifteen. You know, I mean, I mean, teenage mutant ninja turtles, but they've always been portrayed as like eighteen, nineteen years old, maybe a little bit younger than that, but like they're fifteen years old. So you really get the the immaturity of Michelangelo being like, God, I wish ghosts were real. Wouldn't that be cool talking to a ghost? Yeah. <laughs> and just his older brother being like, shut up, you know, yeah. you giant whoopee cushion. Shut up. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? And, and so maybe there could have been a little bit more of that, but there didn't need to be, you know, this was a rat King story that the turtles happened to be in. And what's great about this story is it's beautiful and tragic. The fact that the rat King was afraid of these rats and so he tried giving them the turtles to like cur their friendship from the cur the friendship from the rats and acceptance. And so you're glad that he died because now he's at peace. But you didn't want to see him have to die to to become at peace. And also you're kind of glad that the turtles ran into him because then he wouldn't have found peace. That's true. But you feel bad because like. Michelangelo was almost eaten, you know? You, yeah. Why did that have to happen? You yeah, know? Just, exactly. There's so many, there's no, there's so much subtlety in a dynamic uh, experience. Yeah, you know? it's definitely a multifaceted story. I, I, lo I love this 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 comic, man. And uh... I can't wait for Jim Lawson to be back on this show. And, be, and if I'm on that interview, I kind of hope I am. And he's going to say to me, you totally misread this whole issue. <laughs> You got it wrong, man. I cannot believe. I'm going to go have to rewrite it and make it so, you know, little Josh could understand <laughs> comic books now. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what I'll do is I'll definitely um, reach out to him and, and let him know that we recorded this. And maybe if he want to give it a listen and maybe he could share, you know, some things that uh, maybe he wanted to put in the story. Like we've talked about it before, but, you know, not not through this length. So uh, I think you'd actually get a kick out of listening to this if you'd actually, you know, want to listen to us hacks, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, this issue was the reason why. Not to toot my own horn, but this, this issue was the reason why I put Rat King in my story and uh, a day in the life was because just reading this was like I have to get that in there somewhere. And but it was just like, man. And I was standing on the shoulder of a giant trying to write Rat King. It's like I could never write Rat King, Rat King like Jim Lawson did. It's just like this is his baby here. And you you do a great job, man. You you do. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no you you, you no. do, and uh, your love for the character shines through, and that that's all you can ask for, man. Yeah, I know, and just oh gosh, see, this was like if there could ever be like a movie, uh, like we were talking about how you know it's it should be this issue, you know, it should be even a even a small short film, like this could be a twenty minute short film, 
half hour short film on a, on a Blu-ray somewhere. And it could just be just, it, it would just be an amazing thing to see, you know? Absolutely, man. I love it. I love it. I pay to see it. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> All right, man. I know this is a tough question, man, but what kind of pizza are we going to have to close out uh, this Rat King issue? Oh, man, you know what? I had some pizza last night because as soon as I saw Out of the Shadows, I was like, Nicole, we got to go to Pizza Hut. <laughs> I need some pizza like right now. So I'm actually going to recommend the pizza I'm going to go have have for breakfast. We're going to have leftover sausage and pepperoni pizza. Oh. Because it's always better the next day. <laughs> and I'm actually going to – I. we got the stuffed crust. I know I talked a little bit of business about stuffed crust last time. Oh, Nice. You know what? It's just, it's just. I'm trying, uh, trying to be healthy, trying not to. Eat. I mean, cheese. <laughs> I love cheese, but there's a there's there's a fine line, or there's a very obvious line when you when you've had too much. Well, see, since we're talking about rats, though, we have to have extra cheese. So gotta have. Gotta put in the, the stuffed crust, man. And now, like Pizza Hut makes stuffed crust pizza with cheese and bacon. So it's like, oh god, Pizza Hut wants me to die. I you know, know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but what a way to go. <laughs> what a way to go. So, yeah, stuffed crust, bacon and cheese pizza on your sausage and pepperoni. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm going to try to remember all that. All right, dudes and dudettes. Well, here's hoping you enjoy your stuffed crust and bacon, sausage, and pepperoni pizza, dudes. Cowabunga, dudes. Cowabunga, everyone. But Sega gave me one of my favorite video game series ever in the Streets of Rage series. It's oh, like, I didn't know that. Oh, God. I, that is, like that I, am just, I am just dying for a Streets of Rage 4 one day. Oh, that'd be nice. Side-scrolling, uh, 2.5D, where everything's rendered in 3D, but adhered to a TV plane. Like yes. Just make a straight-up beat-em-up, maybe some RPG elements in it, an updated story. And just, just make that again, <laughs> and sell it for thirty bucks, and everybody would get back on that bandwagon, man. Everyone loves it. Everyone. <laughs> like, you just imagine what you look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That and actually, uh, listeners, please don't do that. That's kind of weird. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't try to put a face to my voice. That's you might not like it. <laughs> you can wear a shirt most of the time we're recording. No, no just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Oh, ah. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. As soon as you think you're doing it well, yeah. the baby's gonna just confetti all over. <laughs> That's true. It's gonna happen. Yeah, so. I know. A lot of times he'll, he'll poop up his back and stuff when we got changed. Oh, God, no, it's worse. Uh, yeah. It's then we got changed. What they do with your car? Oh, yeah. See, that's not happening yet, but I'm sure it will. Oh man, when it does, man, it's just—it's like you hit a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> Because you can't do anything, especially when you're like on a high. It always happens when you're on a highway. Yep, yep. You can't exactly pull over. Exactly. Because you might die. Right, and right. It's just, just like you look back at your kid, and it's like I know you're a zygote right now, <laughs> but you did that on purpose. Yeah, you did that to spite me. <laughs> and I didn't get enough of your baba. <laughs> <laughs>